Hi there! Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. Well, here we are, episode 77. <laughs> Nearly two years ago, I had this crazy idea to read my work aloud for the hopefully enjoyment of some listeners. And then the world was slammed by a pandemic, which honestly gave me the impetus to actually do it. I wonder how long it would have taken me to make the podcast happen if it hadn't been for forced isolation. I would have done it eventually, but I'm sure it would have taken me months of talking myself into it, planning, trying to make it perfect. Instead, I took a giant leap. <laughs> hundreds of hours of recording, hundreds more hours of editing later... I have my characters and their stories out there in audio format on the podcast and three audiobooks published with more to follow. Gatekeeper is this close to coming out in paper and ebook. Same with Griffin. I find I'm really looking forward to hanging out with Kier and company again. I've missed that group. So that's what I'm going to be doing for the next while. Sink back down into Rydris and finish writing the Gatekeeper story. Edits, rewrites, all that stuff. Send it to some trusted readers for commentary. More edits, rewrites. Yeah, make no mistake, it will be a while before I'm ready to come back to this platform. But I can assure you, I will bring it to you here on Totally Fantastic Title as soon as possible. This is the final chapter of Griffin and the Spurious Correlations. <laughs> it was so funny. After I edited this episode, I did some rewrites and, of course, had to record them. Well, it was pouring rain here for days on end, nonstop. I couldn't wait for the rain, so I did the recording, and I had to use noise reduction on the entire recording to get rid of the background drone of the rain. <laughs> That's life here in the Lower Mainland. You may recall, last week, Griffin had her big gig with the Spurious Correlations, which brought more than one unwelcome surprise. Not only was it revealed that she was unwittingly part of a game, but if she was at all unsure of what really mattered to her before, she sure gets it now. When we left her, she was leaving the blank holodeck that used to be the rehearsal studio. She stepped the door to Griffin and the Spurious Correlations by Krista Wallace. Chapter 19. After the party's over. My apartment. I sighed deeply and let out a couple of tearless sobs. I stepped into my entryway and put my crap down on the floor, locking the door behind me. I hung my jacket in the closet. Something smelled good, and it was toasty warm. A gas fireplace I didn't have before radiated glorious warmth. To my surprise and exhausted delight, a smile was drawn from me by the bottle of red wine already open and aerating on the table. I felt a whole lot better about things. A glass of red in hand, I went and changed into comfortable pajamas— then I filled a plate with the roast beef dinner that still steamed it had been placed there so recently. I almost wished I had someone to share this marvelous meal with. Almost. I sat in front of the fire and let it and the wine purge me of stress and anxiety. 
The silence was one of the first things I noticed. No music came from my neighbor's place or anywhere else. The peace and quiet had the same effect as a bowl of chicken soup, warm and healing. The meal was delectable with tender, rare beef, brightly colored carrots, broccoli, and red and yellow peppers, all cooked just the way I like them. I smothered my mashed potatoes with the thick gravy and served up a bowl of Caesar salad. There was even dessert, and to my surprise, I wasn't so sick of dessert that I didn't find the tiramisu mouth-watering. I ate and drank and stared at the fire and evaluated the current situation with much more equanimity than I had been capable of a couple of hours ago. My sister's entire dance company was being held hostage by an evil overlord businessman until I met his demands. My bank account had unaccountably vanished, leaving me in arrears with my rent. I had smashed up a co-op car which remained in long-term parking at the harbor airport. My mother wasn't speaking to me. Worst of all, I no longer had a band. The man I had fallen in love with had gone poof in a flash of fireworks when I'd stabbed him. I had stabbed him with a magical knife, leaving nothing but a pile of confetti. My whole band turned out to have been non-existent, and they had also gone poof. The entire experience had all been part of an elaborate game show that made Just for Laughs gags look like it was for preschoolers. The ridiculousness of it all started me giggling. It developed into laughing, and soon I was rolling on the floor in a cloud of hysterics. Phoenix's outfits, the creme brulee, the mountainous millefeuille, the yoga, the haiku, it was all so outrageous. After a while, I just lay there, spread-eagled, staring at the ceiling. The only thing I couldn't laugh about was Calvin. My best friend hated me and might never speak to me again. Worse, I had an eerie suspicion that in an Emma to Mr. Knightley kind of way, I had been on the wrong track for a very long time, and if Calvin chose to remove himself from my life, I would be missing more than a best friend and bandmate— much more. I rolled onto my side and held my head in the crook of my arm. Why had I not seen it before? What if he didn't feel the same? What if he had found more suitable companionship in a perfect dark-haired beauty he met at a wedding? Some problems, I reasoned, I could solve. I would apologize to the world about the behavior of my ex-lead guitarist. I could word it in such a way that anyone listening would know what really happened. And anyhow, in the end, it meant nothing to me to do it, and it would help Jillian, so, duh. My bank account. Well, that was a bit trickier, but I would go in and speak to someone. I had bank statements to prove what I was saying. The car? That's what insurance was for. It could not be mistaken for anything but a rear-ender, so it should be a pretty cut-and-dry situation, especially if they didn't even file a claim because they were so busy snogging. As for my mother not speaking to me, well, I could scratch that one off the list of negatives. As Calvin had once said, on the very night all this had begun, thank heaven for small mercies. See, I'm a glass-half-full kind of person. But regarding Calvin now, that was very much up to Calvin. I finally sat up and reached for my guitar. I began plucking my way through all I know so far, until the lyrics made me choke up. I set my guitar aside and picked up my glass of wine from the end table. 
I stayed on the floor, but leaned back against the comfy chair and observed that when they refer to the heart aching, it's because it actually does ache. So there was an answer to an oft-asked question. Yay. Thank goodness for wine. Pleasantly stuffed and somewhat resolved, I continued to stare at the fire as I savored the wine until I got too drowsy to keep my eyes open any longer. I switched off the fire. What would my landlady think of it? Never mind. I didn't plan on moving any time soon. My bed had been remade with all kinds of thick, fluffy comforters and fluffy pillows. I sank into the cushiony softness and was asleep instantly. May 20th I woke up feeling the way a fairy tale princess must feel, all cozy and surrounded by feathery softness, like sleeping on a cloud all bundled up in my blankets. The clock said 2.20, and the sun beamed through the crack between the curtains, yet I felt no sense of alarm or urgency. A pale shadow hung over me, which I connected to Calvin, but since he was still on the island, there was no sense worrying over something that I couldn't deal with until later. So instead, I smiled contentedly and yawned. Eventually, I dragged myself... No, actually, I didn't. To drag myself implies groggy and tired, and I was neither. I hopped out of bed, showered, and felt great. I had already booked today off work because I was supposed to be in Victoria, so I had a bonus day to myself. I'd had enough stress to last me at least a couple of days. In the kitchen, I discovered the food had all been put away. It hadn't just vanished, it had been tidily put away in containers in the fridge. The fridge was stocked with more food than I ever usually had for just me, but it was fabulous. It meant I'd be eating well for days. I fixed myself some eggs with bacon, sausage, and fried tomato and sat down with my cell phone. The ringer had been turned off so I wouldn't be disturbed. That was awfully polite. I pressed buttons to subject myself to voicemail messages. It said there were only two. Hey, Griffin, said Brian. Don't worry, I'm not calling to ask you to come in. I know you booked the day off. I just wanted to see how you're doing. You've been working really hard lately, it seems. We've all been remarking on how you've looked kind of stressed out. So take it really easy today. And of course, the store's closed tomorrow. I'll check in with you for Tuesday, but no pressure, okay? Take it easy, Griffin. Beep! Hey, it's me. My breath caught at the sound of Calvin's voice, and I instantly understood how afraid I had been of this call. Listen, Griffin, I'm calling from Victoria. I'll be back in town later today, like four-ish. Can I... Would it be all right if I came by? I need to see you. Pause. Anyway, I'll call you, and I'm sorry. Click. That was it. I figured there'd be seven million messages... There wasn't even one from my mother wondering if I was coming for dinner, so I was left with the freedom to overthink things. Calvin was sorry? He had very little to be sorry for. I have to admit my mood elevated almost to elation at the basic knowledge that Calvin still wanted to see me. All was not lost. But in the way that one does when one desperately wants a thing, I did a brilliant job of making myself believe that exactly the opposite of that thing would happen. I did bugger all for the rest of the day. I turned the fireplace on and ate food and drank tea and watched TV. I did everything I could to not worry about what Calvin had to say. The only time I left the armchair was to use the bathroom. Calvin called around 4.30. 
Naturally, I said he could come over. It would take him about twenty minutes to get here. In that time, I couldn't settle. I wandered around my apartment looking for things to tidy. Finding basically nothing, I kind of stood in the middle of the room. Eventually, the buzzer went, and I pressed the button to let him into the building. I paced the living room and wiped my palms on my pants for the few minutes until the knock came. I opened the door. We stood watching each other's eyes fill. Come here, I said. He stepped forward, and we stood there hugging in my doorway for a very, very long time. You were right. My voice quivered through a wobbly lip and a lump in my throat. I had a very real fear of bawling. My priorities have been really screwed up lately. I'm sorry, too, he said. I was afraid you wouldn't want to see me again. He hugged me tighter. He smelled like coriander. Griffin, I thought of that for about a millisecond, and I knew I could never... He took a deep breath, came the rest of the way in, and shut the door. He took my hand and pulled me into the living room, where he completely ignored the fireplace as he pushed me onto my little couch and sat next to me. Griffin, I'm going to stick my neck out here because I can't keep watching you. I didn't know what he meant by that, but remained silent, anticipating elucidation. My patience was rewarded. He took a deep breath again. Griffin, when I moved back into the neighborhood and saw you in high school, I didn't see you only as the girl I had had picnics with when we were little. I saw you as the amazing girl who knew all the lyrics to Spirit of Radio, who liked Doctor Who and all the same bands I did, who didn't think I was a geek. At least, if you thought I was a geek, it didn't matter. You were that awesome girl who made me feel like I wasn't alone at school. You've seen me at my best and my worst, and you still wanted to be friends with me. It scares the hell out of me to say this because I don't want to lose your friendship, but at the same time, I can't keep watching you with other guys. Was he saying what I thought he was saying? Maybe you see me as just friends, and if that's what this is, then I'll take it. I, I have no entitlement here. But to me, you are way more than just a friend. And if after the way I treated you, you want to put me off, I accept that. That did it. I couldn't let him go on that way. The way you treated me, I said. Was he on glue? Calvin, I have been awful to you lately. Yeah, and that's the weird thing. Jeez, did he have to agree with me so easily? He carried on. And then you were late and I was mad as hell at you about a whole bunch of things. My shoulder blades contracted, but I let him continue. So when my aunt said Uncle George was running late, I suggested we swap places in the program. Teresa asked about it, but I told her it didn't matter, which it did, and she was really disappointed. But I wanted to punish you, and that was really not cool, and you pointed it out. And I saw you talking to my dad, and I knew almost right away that no matter what happened lately, you not being there with me was the worst part. He got up and walked to the middle of the room. I don't ever want you to not be with me. The hiss from the gas fireplace was the only sound as we stared at each other, me on the couch and him standing in the middle of the room with a declaratory stance. I was without words for the longest time.
His facial expression kept changing as he waited for me to say something, and ultimately I became fearful that he would take my silence as a response and leave. There was no way I was letting him leave. I was worried you'd go off with that hot brunette you were dancing with. Who? Oh, her. Well, I'm sure the groom's whole family thought of that, but no. She had never heard of Rush and thinks Lego is for children. <laughs> A chuckle burst from my throat in spite of my efforts to be mature. He threw his arms out wide. What do you say? Do you think it's possible that we... He didn't need to finish the sentence. I rose and grabbed his face in my hands and gave him my answer. Now, I have kissed quite a few guys in my time, but I have to say that if Rickenbacker's soundtrack were still working, I would expect no less than to hear Kiss on My List by Hollow Notes right now. This kiss was soft and warm and with the intensity of being long-awaited on one side and a fabulous surprise on the other. It had to end at some point, but neither of us wanted it to. Calvin whispered in my ear, When the hell did you get a fireplace? <laughs> I laughed then, and a whole lot of pent-up emotion released itself, and we held each other and laughed our heads off. That is a very long story, I said breathlessly at last. I have another question, he said. If it is in my power to give you an answer, I will not hesitate to do so, I told him. Calvin cleared his throat as if bracing himself. <clears throat> what about Matteo? Do you still want him in our band? I let out a kind of burst of a laugh. <laughs> um... No, I have to say, I don't. Good, Calvin said, then seemed to catch himself. I mean, why not? I looked over at the fire. He kind of is gone. Look, I have a lot of food. Why don't we eat some, and I will tell you that very long story. We ate leftover roast beef dinner, almost as good as it had been the night before, and drank wine. I told him the entire thing, every last detail. I'm certain a small part of him thinks I was making it up, but I pointed out that the truth is stranger than fiction. When I came to the part about Snifter's demand for an apology, he was absolutely incensed. But if you do this, I'm coming with you, he said. Not only was it not your fault, but you were not the only one whose fault it wasn't. I'll get the rest of the guys to come too. Are they still willing to talk to me? Griffin, I have to be honest with you. You're the heart of our band. The other day when we were jamming, it wasn't nearly as good, not as fun either. I was really upset when I heard about this other band thing you were doing, but more because I figured it spelled the end of ours, just when we were really starting to cook, you know? And if I'm completely honest, I was frickin' jealous of Mateo, so yes, the guys still want you around. And this bullshit with Snifter involves them too. Besides, lead guitarists are a dime a dozen, but a solid rhythm player? One in a million. It was the second best news I'd heard all day. The best news was that Calvin had no intention of going home that night. May 21st Monday at about noon, Calvin had had to get up and go to work at the record store, gosh darn it, I heard the soft metallic flup of my mail slot. 
On the carpet I found a letter in a brownish envelope. Its stamp and cancellation mark, though unusual, were familiar. I pulled a certain knife out of my junk drawer. I noticed it had a nice weight to it and felt good in my hand. It no longer tingled, but it made an excellent letter opener. I sat in my armchair and withdrew two sheets of high-quality paper and unfolded them. An SD card slipped out of the letter, which was from Rickenbacker, written in a foreign-looking hand. Dear Miss Trowbridge, Phoenix and I wish to thank you for your participation, albeit unwitting, in our contest. I have taken care of a few of the difficulties to which you were subjected during these two weeks, with some additional contributions to show our indescribable appreciation. One thing I feel it is important for me to make very clear. I tracked with great interest the torturous events in your sister's life and celebrated their perfect correspondence with our tournament only for the effect this anguish had on you. I give you my word that we had no involvement whatsoever in your beloved sister's disappointment. That began prior to my connection with you. I must make it perfectly clear that we played no part in the actions of Mr. Snifter. The blame for the way he treated your sister rests solely on him. I would lose a good deal of sleep should I allow you to believe that the actions of that man were in any way influenced by me. As for the tournament, it may be too soon for you to reminisce on this time with any fondness, though I hope that may change. To that end, I have enclosed the unedited audio recording of the entire experience, which I was able to procure with ease. This is my specialty as instructor of audiovisual arts at Salamander University. I hope in time you will be able to listen to it, and perhaps even regale your friends. You were the best otherworldly participant we could have hoped for, and we wish you much success. Your servant, Rickenbacker Topiary. At first I thought this was in poor taste. I was royally pissed off that my emotions had been manipulated, that I had been manhandled so ridiculously. But on the flip side, I was indescribably relieved to know that Rickenbacker wasn't responsible for Jillian's misery. If he were, I really would have stabbed him. I was grateful to have confirmation that these things had actually happened to me, and I hadn't lost my mind. I had been worried I'd have trouble recovering from the trauma of what I had done, but my subconscious mind must have been doing some heavy-duty meditation. It was early days yet, but I was pretty sure I wouldn't need years of therapy, though I don't know if I will ever wish to regale my friends with my humiliation of being covered in pastry muck. Smiling, I slipped both letter and SD card back in the envelope and tucked it in a drawer. A little later, the buzzer from my apartment door went off, startling me out of a song I was trying to create, plucking away on my guitar. I pressed the intercom button. Hello? Griffin, it's me. I have to see you. It was Jillian, probably here to give me my instructions for apologizing to the Snifter family. I was ready for it. I'd already started planning my speech. It would involve strong hints at the truth and a fair-sized dollop of sarcasm. In a way, I was kind of looking forward to it. When she came to my door, I let in a much more chipper person than I had expected. I was automatically suspicious. What's up with you? Oh, Griffin, you will not believe what's happened. Do tell, I pointed her to the couch, which she sat in, then bounced out again. Oh, it's just too cool. Snifter has totally recanted about you. Two things. One, Taryn broke her ankle rollerblading yesterday. 
two, Paul Webb from the Society column found out about Snifter's threat to pull funding. Snifter tried to bribe him not to publish the story, (laughs) proving once again that he is a total jerk. So Paul basically said, screw you, and published a story about the extortion and the bribe. It was Marky who told me all this, by the way. She took me by the hands, pulling me up out of my armchair and spinning me around. Snifters back down on the whole thing, of course. I've got the prima roll back. And get this. He's not only letting the ballet keep the money, but he's adding a $20,000 donation. Marky said it's like he's smoothing it all over in hopes everyone will forget it ever happened. <laughs> Jillian broke into peals of laughter. I'd seen her laugh before, but never had she expressed such deliciously malicious mirth. I was prodigiously proud of her. I told her about Calvin and me, and she shrieked, apparently with delight, as she grabbed me and hugged me. That night, cuddled in front of the fire with Calvin's arms around me, I drank a toast to Karma for returning my sister's joy. May 22nd. Several things happened on Tuesday. I called Brian and told him I'd be in to work, but a little late because I had some things to sort out since my bank had been closed on Monday. My dad phoned after I hung up from Brian. Griffin, I was wondering if you could spare some time this week. I know baking isn't your favorite thing to do, but it turns out I'm swamped. Really? That sounds good, Dad. Yes, it seems word about the little cake mishap has reached the LGBTQ community. I'm scheduled to cater half a dozen gay weddings in the next two weeks, and I have a lot of baking to do. I had to laugh. I'd be happy to help wherever I can. It's the least I can do for ruining Mom's business. (coughs) Dad snorted. Are you kidding? She's losing her mind and has to hire another shop clerk. But she's been telling me... Has she not been telling you about Mrs. So-and-so bringing in three of her friends and then they've been bringing in their friends? That she ran out of stock the other day because so many new customers came? Honestly, whatever happened at that wedding of yours has tripled your mom's business. Seems a lot of women are less than friends with Pearl Snifter, so any place she disparages has them all interested. This was a fascinating turn of events. It did make sense. My mom had said she was running out of stock, but she'd let me believe it was all doom and gloom. Come to think of it, the only way that could happen is if people, I don't know, bought it. And the only way she could lose money was if she hadn't charged enough. It certainly wasn't my fault. I told my dad I'd be able to help him the next day. Oh, and just so you know, Dad, I make a mean puff pastry. Even without Stephen and his fast fridge, I was sure I could handle this. The next item on the list was to call the car co-op and report my accident before calling a tow truck to pick it up from the Harbor Air Terminal. The woman on the phone was pleasant. Thanks for calling, Miss Trowbridge, but our records show the car is being returned in perfect condition to the same lot where you picked it up. Oh, I said, wondering if this meant I didn't have to make the call to the towing company, let alone the insurance corporation. I wanted to ask if she was sure, because it had been pretty beat up— but I realized how goofy it would sound if I insisted that I had wrecked a car that she said had been returned undamaged. Instead, I thanked her and hung up. I crossed the call to ICBC off my to-do list. 
Following that, I went to the bank and asked to speak to someone in accounts so I could sort out the mystery of my missing funds. The woman was happy to help such an esteemed customer and was very confused. Nobody had any recollection of having denied the existence of my account. She asked over and over if there was anything else, anything at all, she could do to help. I appreciated her attention, though I was put off by the obsequiousness. Then I saw the balance of my account. Dear Rickenbacker, my account held a balance of $450,000. Not that I'd jump at the chance to work for salamanders again, but you might say it was a decent wage. Apparently my spirit was ready for music again, because my favorite happy songs were surging through me begging for escape. As I waited for the bus, on the bus, all the way to the music store, my body bounced with the tunes in my head. Release, release, lifting my heart, the big sky, here comes the sun, and many others. Though I didn't let myself break out into full voice, I did hum, which was enough to draw glances from strangers, but they were nice, non-judgmental glances. The humming told the strangers I was happy, not that I was insane. There's a big difference. My elation was infectious, and lots of customers left the store in a better mood than when they'd come in. Brian laughed at me. Wow, Griffin, you should take stress breaks more often. You won't hear any arguments from me. When I got home, another letter lay on the carpet below my mail slot. The knife really did work well for this purpose. I unfolded the letter. It was on management letterhead. Miss Trowbridge, our records indicate that an error has been made. Although your account is set up for automatic withdrawal, it appears your rent has been overpaid in the amount of $4,500. This accounts for six months' rent. We will halt the automatic withdrawals for the next six months. May 23rd and onward. It turns out that when your heart has been broken by somebody who was some sort of hologram, it's way easier to put it behind you than when it's someone real. This, and whatever else Rickenbacker had done to ease my coping with having stabbed someone, was working. Calvin and I did a lot of thinking and talking over the next couple of days. We also did a lot of not talking, too, but that's none of your business. We lay in my bed, arms around each other, doing our best to make up for what could be perceived as lost time. I stroked the fine hairs on his chest and thought they were the loveliest chest hairs in the whole wide world. Why is it, I said, Jason could be such a jerk to you and it never bothered me, yet at the audition when Matteo said, do you need to take a minute, I was really pissed off that he would be so rude. Calvin murmured something into my neck and it tickled, so I squirmed. "'You know what I think?' I went on. "'I figure I always knew you would rise above anything Jason had to say.' Calvin raised his head onto his fist and thought for a moment. "'I honestly never felt threatened by Jason. "'I hated that he was an ass to you, "'but I guess I counted on you getting your shit together eventually.' <laughs> "'I laughed. "'Oh, thanks.' "'No, seriously. "'Sticking up for you with you right there was awkward. "'I tried.' I don't know if it changed anything for you when we weren't around, but it didn't seem to have an effect at rehearsal. I figured Jason would always be a jerk, so I was just waiting. He wasn't the first guy you'd been with, and you always came to your senses. You just needed to weed out all the guys who didn't deserve you. <laughs> and you figure you deserve me? Calvin rolled me over and stared down at me. Damn right I do. I played with his dark curls, tucking them behind his ears. 
Why on earth didn't you give up on me? Because you make really good shortbread. <laughs> I laughed and he kissed me. We exchanged no words for several minutes. But what about Matteo? Why did you suddenly react differently to him? He was just another guy. No, Calvin said. He wasn't. Matteo was more of a threat because he was a whole lot of things. He was gorgeous and you clearly admired him. He was a mind-blowing guitarist and worst of all, he was obviously a really nice guy. I didn't get it. So? Calvin rolled onto his back. I still felt like I was part of your life with Jason around. I never felt like I'd have to, you know, step aside. But Matteo... I was afraid I would have to step aside for Matteo. You wouldn't need me anymore. Love is a fucking crazy thing. In between helping my dad with baking, with which I had some success I might add, I worked at the store. I continued with my own lessons, plus Collins, and to my joy, nothing weird happened. On Friday, I ran the till, rang in orders, helped customers with instrument rentals, took lesson payments. It was a busy day, and I loved it. It felt like a long time since I'd been truly happy to be at work, thinking about music, all aspects of it. Late in the day, I was rummaging around under the front counter, rearranging the items in the display case, when the bell of the door rang. A young woman entered. She was a bit taller than me and had light brown shoulder-length hair. I watched her as she looked around the store a bit. She admired the guitars that hung along the wall and eventually approached the front counter. This is a really nice store, she said. She was about 25 with bright blue eyes. Yeah, I like it too, I said. I'm checking out what's around the neighborhood. Are you new here? She smiled kind of shyly. Yeah, I just moved here from Edmonton, so... Oh, I believed more words were needed here. Congratulations, <laughs> she laughed. Petra, she stuck her hand out across the counter, and I shook it. Griffin, are you a musician? Yeah, guitar. I brightened. Me too. Yeah? Well, I wonder if you know, I'm sort of hoping I can find a band to play with. Do you maybe know of any bands that need a lead guitarist? Now there was a coincidence. As it happens, our lead just quit a couple of weeks ago, and we need someone. I play rhythm. Sweet. Listen, we're rehearsing tomorrow night. I can call the guys. I'm sure you'd be welcome to come jam with us. Three months later. My new band waited in the back hall of a hotel corridor. Calvin tapped his drumsticks on the concrete wall. The rest of us hung by the doors listening to the speeching. Cameron wiped his tears on his sleeve. Andy and Petra laughed at him. Calvin came over and put his arm around my shoulders and kissed the top of my head. We're going to be great tonight, he said eagerly. Yes, I agreed. We are. Mrs. Beckett had brought her full entourage of lady friends into my mom's shop for their dresses. Her daughter, Wendy, was now married to a gorgeous woman named Christine. I was wearing a funky top Phoenix had sent me, splashes of bright colors and not a single tentacle. The cake I'd helped my dad design was on display under beautiful lighting in the corner of the banquet hall. We'd tossed around new names for the band, and though I had shut my eyes with trepidation as I'd made my suggestion, the gang all liked it. 
I'd easily paid Brian for my Telecaster, and I had Rickenbacker Topiary, and yes, even Phoenix Rising, to thank for the way everything in my life had fallen into place. My confidence had gone through the roof, it seemed, so that when a potential client didn't want to pay us what we were worth, I had no trouble saying, See, when you hire a plumber, you expect to pay for the service. It's the same with musicians. You want us to play three sets and fill an evening? That's how much it costs. If the client didn't want to pay, that was fine. There'll be other gigs, Griff. After all I'd been through, I was much more laid back. Nothing I had faced in life since the codswallop, as it came to be known, had caused me anywhere near the level of stress and anxiety it would have in days gone by. I dare you to toss some sort of obstacle my way. I'll knock it out of the park. Petra was fantastic, and the group gelled better than we ever had with Jason. Calvin and I arranged a gathering so that we could play Gotta Have You for Teresa and James the way we had rehearsed it. I had paid close attention to today's wedding so I could get ideas for my own. We had six months to prepare. Jillian, who had been absolutely sensational in the ballet, was so excited to be my maid of honor that she had already started doing crafts and designing centerpieces— the only trouble was that Calvin and I wanted to be the band at our own wedding, and our parents were having none of that. I guess they had a point. They couldn't keep us from singing altogether, though. We had already started working on our duet of You're My Best Friend for the ceremony. And he doesn't know it, but I'm writing a song to sing to Calvin at the reception. Shh, it's a surprise. The best day was when we announced our engagement to Calvin's folks. His dad's dementia blocked his memory of the nurses who cared for him. Yet when Calvin told him we were going to be married, he took my hand and in a beautiful moment of lucidity said, Griffin, dear, it's about time. I admit there were tears. Oh, and I should probably mention that Calvin and I took a drive downtown Vancouver so I could show him where everything had happened. The old brick building where Rickenbacker introduced me to Mateo was a realtor's office, and where salamanders had been on Powell Street were decades of weeds in an empty lot. Go figure. The speeches wrapped up, and there came the moment we had waited for. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Griffin and the Spurious Correlations. The first dance was at last, in F, and I must say, I sounded awesome with my band. Ending bit Seeing Blinky and Jethro taken away in chains for cheating was fun, Rickenbacker pointed out. He uncrossed his ankles on the coffee table and recrossed them the other way. Phoenix snorted and said nothing. Rickenbacker couldn't be sure Phoenix hadn't merely got some feathers from his black fluffy sweater up his nose. He looked like a giant crow. Rickenbacker forced a laugh. Ha ha ha! He nudged Phoenix with his elbow. To think they thought they could get away with their little ploy. Phoenix tilted to the side with the nudge and straightened again, like a weeble. His pout grew more frowny. Rickenbacker sighed and threw up his hands. Really, Phoenix, you are just not pleasant to be around when you get like this. What, pray, is the problem? Phoenix's head pivoted on his neck and he directed his glare at his friend. What is the problem? You ask me what is the problem? Rickenbacker folded his hands on his lap. I do. What have I said all along, since the beginning of this fiasco? 
Now, Phoenix, the title, Rickenbacker. I wanted the championship title. Rickenbacker rolled his eyes. Do you think I did not? Phoenix pouted again and looked at the small trophy on the coffee table before them. My dear fellow, nobody won the title. Isn't that better than Blinky and Jethro winning it? Isn't there just a little bit of joy in knowing their other world target bolted after only six days? He shook his head and tutted. To think they believed the tournament judges wouldn't notice that they resorted to having Jethro stab Blinky. Ha! Doesn't it give you any pleasure to have seen them disqualified and taken away, knowing they will not be allowed to even compete in the tournament for twenty years? Phoenix grunted. I guess so. You guess so? Come now, isn't it a happy thing that we avoided disqualification ourselves regarding our use of an MGC? Phoenix mewed like a kitten. And for goodness sake, my friend, Madame Skeezix was wearing one of your designs. I cannot imagine you are not overjoyed over that, surely. Phoenix lifted his head. Well... We won first place because we were the only ones to get our participant to stab somebody. She didn't stab the right person, that's all. Phoenix leapt to his feet. That's the point, he cried, moving around the table and over to the mirrored desk where he turned and flung his arms wide. I was so mean. I worked so hard to make her hate me, and I'd worked myself up to it. I was so scared, but by the time it came down to it, I was ready, and it was such a letdown to me emotionally that she didn't allow me to live up to my expectations of myself. She didn't allow me to realize my full potential. Rickenbacker sipped his wine. Have you been reading self-help books again? Phoenix hung his head and nodded. Oh, Phoenix, my dear fellow. He put his feet down into the faux fur rug. Now listen, it was you who pointed out my error in our instruction to our MGC. I was too specific in that instruction, and then not specific enough in my instruction to him afterward. Somehow, rather than merely toning down his obvious attraction to our OWP, he went completely the opposite direction. Now at least Griffin stabbed him. But if you hadn't discovered my error, she likely would not have stabbed anyone at all, and we wouldn't be sitting here with this lovely little first-place trophy, nor this fabulous honorable mention prize. Phoenix looked up with puppy eyes. Now grab some wine off the desk and come and sit back down. Phoenix did so, and once their cups were refilled and their ankles comfortable on the table, they gazed in admiration at their two awards. It isn't the trophy, Phoenix said, but it's quite cute. The first-place trophy was about eight inches tall and featured a spindly cactus. Yes, agreed Rickenbacker. Is it glass? Rickenbacker sighed at his friend's total lack of sophistication. No, Phoenix, it is Balerian crystal. It would have been better to win the title. Rickenbacker shrugged. Yes. We should have lied to her, told her I was responsible for her sister's problems. I do believe you're right, my friend. Will we get to be on talk shows? It was odd the things Phoenix cared about. Rickenbacker nodded. And don't forget the ribbon-cutting ceremonies. Phoenix cocked his head. What is that other award supposed to be? 
It was black and looked like an upside-down squid whose tentacles curled around so they resembled the spokes of a wheel that wished to be closer friends by forming a sort of sphere. It was about two feet in diameter. In the base was a series of cups. Rickenbacker was feeling benevolent. "'I humbly offer that to you, my friend. It is a state-of-the-art onion ring stand.'" The End And there you have it, my friends. I really hope you enjoyed this goofy story and got some laughs. I had so much fun writing that story and reading it aloud. I am doing some editing and stuff, and it's my intention to publish this book in print and ebook before I put out the audiobook. As for that giant leap I mentioned, I've said this before, but taking that leap was terrifying, and I thank you so much for listening and for sending your comments. That audience feedback is invaluable, and it gave me the courage to keep going. Know that you are appreciated, dear listener. Don't forget, my virtual guitar case is open on Kofi. It will continue to happily accept tunies, which will help me keep doing what I'm doing. COVID has kind of kicked the crap out of my employment income, so your support there and in buying my books is much appreciated. Kofi.com, click explore and look for Krista Wallace is a writer. The link is in the episode description. Please take care of yourselves and each other until we meet again. Thank you to my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. Cheers, David and Sharon. Thanks, Phil Dirksen, for such an awesome guitar solo. Thanks to you for listening. Go be fantastic. Rickenbacker couldn't be. Rickenbacker. Rickenbacker couldn't be sure if Phoenix hadn't merely got some feathers from his black fluff. <laughs> black fluffy.